Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think you got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. How about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. And away we go on a Monday, a rainy Monday here in central New York with another home football game this week and a Friday game, so it'll feel like a condensed week. Getting ready for the defending national champions and either the best or second best team in all of college football. Coming into the Carrier Dome with the Clemson Tigers owning the nation's longest winning streak. Double-digit games dating back to their championship run from last year. Ticketed for the Dome for a 7 o'clock kickoff on Friday night. The Cuse at 3-3 coming off its victory against Pittsburgh in the Dome. A three-point win on Saturday. And welcome again, everybody, in the booth. Matt Park along with you, Polly alongside, and lots to get to today. You can join us by phone at 437-7644 or 4ESPN44 if you'd like to climb in on the program. We like the Monday shows. It gives a lot to uh, rehash over the weekend and go through some of the important uh, and notable sound of uh, things that have taken place. We'll hear from Coach Babers in his press conference today and his very plain sort of way of looking at things when he knows he's outmatched in terms of personnel, but he's not going to back down when it uh, comes to matching up with the LSUs and Clemsons of the world, and uh, that's what uh, the Orange have this week. So we'll hear from uh, him on that. We'll hear from Adam Terry, who uh, works and does a great job with uh, Brian Higgins on our uh, pre- and post-games on the network, and Adam will uh, chime in. want to get his ideas on what it's like in the locker room when you're slogging through the season and now you match up against a team in Clemson that seems to roll uh, one week after the next, loaded with talent uh, and going into every game with uh, superior personnel. And uh, they tend to come out on the, uh, on the right side from Clemson's perspective, the national champions coming to the Dome this week. I think he rolled into Tennessee when he was a player. So, I mean, that had to be very comparable to, to it at that point. Yeah, I mean, a different animal in that, in this case, the the power program is coming home, um, and coming to here, and, and uh, this is where it's incumbent, I think, on all concern to make this feel like the uh, home field advantage that it can be. We talk about that uh, concept of, dome field advantage and making it intimidating. That's where this whole idea of the, if it's uncomfortable in there, the heat, the humidity, et cetera, that's a positive right now, not not a negative. It's um, maybe less than ideal from a comfort perspective sometimes, but I haven't felt that way uh, throughout this year. The cramping and that type of thing, uh, notice that that's a one-sided deal. Now, we could get into another time whether we think that's legitimate it seemed as though uh, Pittsburgh, on a regular basis, had a player down after Syracuse had achieved a first down uh, in the game on Saturday. Didn't see any offensive players cramping on either team. Uh, didn't intend to uh, to break out into that discussion today, but just something to watch for in terms of the fact that when you do come into the Dome, it's a tough place to play. Uh, looking for the biggest crowd of the season uh, coming up on Friday night and a positive showing in terms of that and the community 
related to the visitors from South Carolina. So that's all coming up. The game on Saturday got Syracuse back to 500, both overall and in conference play, and it was notable, and we'll get Adam Terry's thoughts on this as we continue, that a lot of Syracuse's most significant performances were by players that aren't the top two or three players on either side of the ball. So Steve Ishmael and Irv Phillips entered the game first and third in the nation in receptions per game and have been very productive this year and constant go-to targets on the part of Eric Dungy. And in this game, the Orange had to find different ways. They played the ball between the hash marks a little bit more. Dante Strickland went for a season-high 80 yards. Strickland, and we keep pointing this out, it's not to harangue Strickland, it's just accurate and um his longest run for the year is 14 yards his longest run in that game on saturday was eight yards but he had only one loss yardage run and he was getting a lot of three and four yard gains over the course of the day keeping the orange on schedule and making them better on third down and that's where the syracuse defense has been so good because uh, the opponents are not converting on third down primarily because syracuse isn't allowing the token three- and four-yard gains on first and second down that make it manageable on third for the opponents. That's really been the key to Syracuse's defensive improvement this year, that and being a little bit less susceptible to the big play, the 40, 50, 60-yard strike in the opposition not coming. So you had to have a little bit of a trained eye to notice that. Strickland, again, running really mostly in the box, is not accelerating away from anybody. You don't uh, see that happening right now, but uh, did earn 80 important yards on Saturday and the praise of Coach Babers. He turned two-yard runs into three-yard runs, three-yard runs into four-yard runs, and if you watch his blocks, his receiving, I thought he played a complete game as a running back. You know, you we, everyone judges running backs by how many yards they gain per average. I do too. Hey, I do too. I'm caught up in it as well. But really, you want an all-around back. And I thought he played a dynamic all-around game for our, for our running back against, uh, against Pittsburgh. Yeah, and I don't know if that's any sort of newfangled way of looking at it, yards per carry. Everybody wants to get uh, more than the three yards per carry that Strickland has achieved for the season. But there are some games that are played differently than others in terms of the, the way they're contested and the value of individual yards. And uh, he came through big time. Uh, when the Orange needed him, as did Ravian Pierce, the tight end, nine catches, a career high, and 99 yards. Not only a career high, that's the highest any player's had since our friend Chris Gedney, our regular game color analyst, the last Syracuse tight end with a 100-yard receiving game, and Pierce was just a yard off that, so uh, we're going to protect Geds and not round up, but for all intents and purposes, Pierce got the job done and was a steady option there to move the chains. He's made a bunch of catches this year that didn't really gain any ground. Uh, in this case, hard yards for them. Steve Ishmael does see his 100-yard receiving streak end, but he had 97 in the game. And then you look on the defensive side, yeah, of course, the usual suspects were there. We'll hear from uh, Coach Babers his thoughts on the linebacking tandem of uh, Paris Bennett and Zaire Franklin. Bennett, 14 more tackles, which is a career high, but the biggest play of the game is the safety that seals it by Ryan Guthrie. Ryan Guthrie hasn't basically played this year. The only reason Ryan Guthrie was on the field the last two weeks is because Kendall Coleman has missed action as the pass rusher with a, a lower body injury at this stage, a foot or ankle uh, injury. And Guthrie has been trained up 
to go after the passer from a down lineman end position, I don't know, four, five, six snaps a game. I don't know if that he had more than a handful of snaps in the game against uh, Pittsburgh on Saturday, but in a clear passing situation at the end of the game, he gets the sack that, for all intents and purposes, was the last hurrah for Pittsburgh. Also notable in that game, Pittsburgh's uh, starting quarterback, Max Brown, left. They had to go with Ben DiNucci down the stretch. The Orange, outside of the injuries that they had going into the game, seemed to hold up okay. Even had players leave and come back, which is something we don't see very often. Cody Conway, the left tackle, looked to have uh, a pretty significant injury, missed just a couple of plays, and was able to return. So all in all, Syracuse is about where you'd hope it would be at this stage in the season with the big fat elephant of uh, missing the Middle Tennessee game. And so you probably would have signed up for 4-2 and two at this point going into the Clemson game. And uh, they're 3-3, three and three, and so still within striking distance of what the goals are. Plus you start to look at some of these other teams. Florida State is not itself. Louisville, late in the year, what will they have? Uh, I think... Syracuse is trying to build confidence and maintain health for what is to come late in the year. So we'll step aside. We'll come back with Adam Terry's thoughts on the game, hear more from Coach Babers, a run around through the NFL action, and much, much more. We'll take whatever might be on your mind as well if you'd like to call us at 4 ESPN 44. You're listening to In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Sunday, the Giants head to the Mile High City to face the Broncos. Pre-game at 7.30. Big Blue plays here. ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. You heard it. Big Blue plays here, but Big Blue is in serious trouble. Not just 0-5. But they lost three or four wide receivers during the game yesterday, most notably, of course, Odell Beckham Jr., who is out uh, with an apparent season-ending ankle injury. Looked pretty gruesome. Surgery for him. Surgery for J.J. Watt. Not a great day in the National Football League in terms of the impact injuries to major primetime performers. And we've got our own primetime performer in Adam Terry, who joins us now. Adam uh, Works our pre and post game with Brian Higgins on game day. And Adam, uh, you know the deal, man. You've been in that uh, Sunday league, and what a game changer it is when your star goes down in gruesome fashion, as happened for a couple of guys today. Yeah, no, it's never, uh, it's always a difficult thing. You go into a situation, and <laughs> John Feinstein wrote a, a book. It's called Next Man Up, and that was about the Baltimore Ravens before I got there, and it was just part of the culture of. You know, when somebody went down, you were the next guy up. And I've been in that several situations where I had to go in and early on in my career and fill in for Jonathan Ogden. And then towards the end of my career where I was the starter and people had to come and replace me because of different injuries. And the hard part is, is it's, it's either ingrained in the culture of the team or it's not ingrained, you know. So you're looking at superstars saying, hey, this guy's fantastic and you haven't built up underneath him or – you're saying, hey, this guy's fantastic, but in three years he's going to be ready for free agency. Hopefully we've done our good enough and due diligence of scouting people to make sure we can replace them. Well, if you do what we do for a living and you have the chance to go to football practice or if you played the game, to me you only see to, need to see it a couple of times before it's impressed upon you just the brutality of the game. An injury like that happens in practice, <laughs> literally – it's move the drill up five yards, give him some room to be tended to, and the rest of us are going on, right? I mean, oh, yeah, there, no. There's no pity party 
in the game. It's a tough one. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one. You know, and even in college, I mean, I can remember back to Mo McLean um, when I was at Syracuse, Coach Pease, just like, hey, Riverside, the drill. Yeah. The medical team came in and, and they took care of him. And it was a spiral fracture. He's out for a year. And then, you know, the, the great success stories are the guys that when Mo came back, I think it was against Virginia Tech, he had the winning interception. In overtime. Overtime in order to kind of catapult us. So that's the tough one. But it's also, you, you know, a lot of these guys will persevere and, and put themselves in a position to succeed later on. Adam Terry is with us. And uh, Adam, we didn't bring you on to talk uh, injuries today, but really to go through the Pittsburgh win on Saturday, a game that Syracuse could ill afford to lose. That was sort of the setting going in because of what they face the next three weeks. Uh, now with Florida State out of the rankings, it's not literally accurate to say the next three teams are ranked, but Syracuse will likely be an underdog uh, for three in a row with Clemson coming in uh, this Friday night and then back-to-back road games to Florida with a bye week in between. And can cross that Florida State Bridge when we get to it. But did you feel as though they handled uh, their business in an adequate way on Saturday? I think the, the most disappointing thing was the beginning of the game when they, you know, touchdown gets called back and they got to settle for that three because that was the first point where Syracuse jumped out early and got after them. But the rest of the game, you know, the, the two prior games, you saw them fight back, claw back, and they couldn't get over the hump. The, the thing for me is they they were able to achieve, they got over the hump and they got the W, where if you looked at their schedule preseason, you're saying, oh, you know, Pitt's a 8-5 and five team from last year. So, you know, my takeaway on this is they were able to show that Ravian Pierce and Butler are suitable guys to get the ball. But when you're going to Miami, Clemson, Florida State, you've got to be able to rush the football. And in that last seven minutes of the game, Dante Strickland showed something that I haven't seen Prior, you know, he ended up, I think, 85 yards. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so to see him do that, and, and a lot of it was in that third and fourth quarter, to see him do that, that was the biggest thing that I took out of the game. Two more weapons and a, and a running game to close out the game. Yeah, I thought the game itself, the thing that struck me the most, really, were, were two things, that it was tough yardage. There were not a lot of explosive plays either way. Uh, which was the complete opposite of last year's game in Pittsburgh, and the development of some names beyond the first couple. So as you mentioned, Devin Butler, he had his first career touchdown reception at the end of the first half. Steve Ishmael would have one later, but you expect it from Ishmael and from Irv Phillips. I'll ask you the same question I asked Coach Babers after the game. How does it build your team when new people have their moment in the sun? You're three and three. Um, you're coming out. Some people are banged up. You're going to get a few more people back out there. But the mentality is, is hey, you know, Coach Babers impressing upon us believe, and now they can actually believe that, you know, uh, a Guthrie comes in and finishes the game off with a sack who had been, as Coach Babers says, cross training between linebacker and defensive end, and he got the call and you know, and arguably closed out the game with that sack and in that fashion. Then you start to see a Butler emerge. Um, at Martin at the safety position start to, who I thought was spectacular. Um, he was physical and he had great ball skills out there in this game. Hands down the best football game I've seen out of him this year. So you can take out of this, hey, coach has been saying believe. These guys are putting in the work. And now you can believe that they can line up next to you 
and, and, and win some football games. Scoop Bradshaw, a sophomore corner, made back-to-back big plays early in the game to uh, turn away a pit drive as the Orange had a couple of three-and-outs defensively uh, right at the start against the Pittsburgh team that's now uh, two and four on the season. The Orange moved to three and three, and Clemson is next. Adam Terry is our guest. And Adam, you've had your share of these types of games. We were talking before you came on about you going on the road with Syracuse to Tennessee, who at the time was the defending national champion and uh, a very big deal. And and what is the most important thing for a team to have in its mind approaching what uh, is clearly an intimidating set of talent, sure. or is it? Or or do you go with the they-put-their-pants-on-the-same-way routine? Well, I mean, you're 18 to 21 years old, maybe 22 years old, and it's a young team, so they're going to be a little bit awestruck, but the the reality is, is this why you play the game? You spot it up on Saturday, or in this case, Friday night, for that specific reason, because there have been a lot of crazy things in the past that have occurred in the Dome, you know, and you're just preaching to these guys, hey, we, we've done it in the past with a big upset. And you saw how that was oppressed upon the, the, not just the community, but on a national spotlight. And this one is a recipe for upset city. Um, I don't think it's going to be, uh, it's either going to be an extremely tight bring to the nail biter, or it's going to be one where Syracuse just can't match up with the talent. Well, to me, and you know, Actually achieving it on Friday night's a different story, but it does have some parallels in terms of the arc of the program with the first or second or third most significant win in the history of the program, beating Nebraska in, in 84. In 83, Syracuse at Nebraska was 63-7. to Last year, Syracuse mm-hmm. at Clemson was a disaster. Clemson goes on to show they're a national championship caliber team. There's really no shame in uh, losing there. And now you come back, Clemson does have a quarterback banged up, and one thing that levels the playing field here is if their outstanding quarterback that's you know new in his own right and coming on the road uh, into this environment, if he's maybe not as mobile, uh, Kelly Bryant, as, as he typically would be, uh, now you've got at least a little check mark in your favor there and, and reason to hope. How do you build within the locker room during the week that, uh, that belief that you can get it done? I think this is pretty easy. You look at your quarterback and, and Dungy and what he's been able to accomplish this year, being able to bring them back and, you know, finally last week, able to jump that and make that hump. And then on the other side of the ball, there's Zaire Franklin and Paris Bennett, who I think everybody's kind of haven't forgotten about him, but there's been so much um, progress in other positions that these guys are stalwarts. And these are guys that are not just going out to try to play for a bowl game, but they're trying to increase their draft stock. You know, sitting in the booth next to Tom Coughlin, Tom Coughlin's watching the game and saying, hey, who are some of these seniors that can go out there and be potential, you know, kickoff guys, developmental long-term? And they know that because, you know, they're starting to hear the buzz of, hey, you've, you've played this well and you've done this. You know, ideal objective is make a bowl game. So that is at the forefront with some of the older guys. And then it's also improve. And where else would you want to do it but on a national spotlight against Clemson? The Orange and Clemson, Friday night, 7 o'clock, as uh, the Cuse goes into the game. As you said, you know, at quarterback, 
they're going to be better suited than just about every team they play this year. Dungy is totally legit, throwing for 300 yards per game, rushing for at least one touchdown every game among the national leaders in uh, both of those categories. And when asked today, Coach Babers, you know, basically the lead-in was, look, last year you admitted to shelving Dungy, trying to protect him against Clemson, not calling any design run plays because you didn't want him to get hurt, et cetera. How much are you doing that this year? His answer was zero. <laughs> you know, in other words, you know, let let him go because uh, that's the best way you have to move the football. And that's your best opportunity to win. So you got to go out and put your best guys out in the right position to succeed. And for Syracuse, it's easily going to be putting Dungey out there in, in whatever form or fashion, allowing him to take the football either distribute it at the wide receiver position or take it in any form or fashion design run and make some yardage. Uh, Lastly, with you, Adam, let's have you just sort of evaluate what you're seeing from your guys down there, your position group. Cody Conway at left tackle uh, left the game, came back, and that's kind of the spot of the most prestige uh, on the offensive line. He's clearly Syracuse's best offensive lineman. They only had to cover him for a couple of plays while out, which was fortunate because – if you are going to lose your best guy for any period of time, you're you're in trouble. But uh, how are you seeing them develop right now? Coming along well. I mean, fun recognitions, tremendously better. You know, from Middle Tennessee to, to Pitt, Pitt was bringing um, overload blitzes, basically one more than they can block. And they started, they struggled a little bit early with it, and then they really dialed in. And from that point, you know, the, the thing will be the true test are these next three stretches where, You've got four- and five-star defensive tackles, defensive ends, as well as – so that's that one-on-one matchup, as well as being blitzed and having front recognition against probably, arguably, faster linebackers than you've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. The strength of Clemson, of course, is their defensive front. They've got beasts there. Really, their entire defense is excellent. Their coordinator, Brent Venables, is as good as there is in the business. Do you recall in your time either playing here or in the NFL how you uh, kind of prepped yourself for the very best, whether that maybe was Virginia Tech at the time or, or somebody like that that had loaded personnel sure. and, and great schemes? I mean, you go in and it, there's there's going to be a large amount of walkthroughs, but in a, against the Clemson, it's going to be mano a mano. So one thing that we used to do, and it actually we did it while we were in the NFL, and when you faced a Freeney or a Mathis, you have your guys line up a yard off sides. Hmm. You know they're going to get the jump. They're going to they're going to be there, and that's going to simulate how that's going to occur. So they're not going to have to deal with like crowd noise or anything like that. But you're going to have to match the speed of the game with guys that are, uh, you know, those front four, front seven guys are more talented. So they've got to be able to to match up. All right, my friend. Now the uh, the initiative is to make some crowd noise uh, for uh, Clemson to have to worry about uh, when, when that game comes up. Certainly when Clemson's on offense, uh, you want to have as much noise as possible in the Dome. So uh, we appreciate uh, your time, my friend. We'll see you on Friday, okay? All right, see you then. All right, Adam Terry, he and uh, Brian Higgins uh, combining and Chris Gedney chiming in as well in the pre- and post-game coverage, and that'll be a, a topic going into the game on Friday, particularly if and when uh, ticket sales can continue uh, toward that game, if you're looking at the biggest crowd of the year and a big boy opponent and a game that you have known about and have circled, this was one that wasn't one where you were waiting on the kickoff time or anything like that. 
Uh, now it's time to see how it can be brought, and we can talk with Adam uh, on Friday about the impact that crowd can make on offense and the types of things you do with silent counts and and uh, plans B, C, and D, et cetera, on offense. Speaking of game time, the time of the Miami game announced today in the uh, 12-day window, that's uh, typically the routine on each Monday you get the kickoff time for not the next game but the one after that. The Miami game on October 21st down there is going to be a 3.30 kickoff and they'll determine the uh, television network next week at this time. That'll be on the outcome of some of the games this week. But it'll be either ESPN2, ABC, uh, something in that neighborhood. So it will be a regionally televised game. Lots of eyeballs on that one. Miami coming off a win against Florida State is having a very good season, and we're looking forward to rekindling that one. It's been a minute since Syracuse and Miami have squared off. They've had so many great games back in the day when they were competing for Big East championships. It'll be fun uh, for that one coming up in Florida here on the 21st. As we continue in the booth, we'll work through some of the highlights from yesterday's uh, baseball and NFL action and more of Coach Baver's press conference from today as we work through the Pittsburgh game and on into Clemson. You're in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Live from the dboffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM Syracuse. And 100.1 FM Oswego. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Welcome back In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. You can always join us by phone at 4ESPN44. That's 4377644. Area code 315, of course. Lots going on yesterday in the sports world outside of Syracuse football. We'll get to that in just a bit. Just a minute or just a bit. One of the two, not just a bit it. But we will uh, share with you some comments from Coach Baber's press conference today. And you can kind of sense, you know, he uses that or can in some cases use it to set the tone for the week. And before we get into the daunting task that Clemson will be, uh, we'll share with you one of the things he said lauding a a one-two punch that he's got that probably isn't viewed enough as a one-two punch. On the offensive end, you know about Steve Ishmael and Irv Phillips, as productive as there is for any tandem receivers in the country, first and third in the country going into the the game on Saturday in terms of receptions per game. On the defensive side, you're looking at two guys that are basically going on their third consecutive year where both are going to have 100 tackles. That's pretty legit. Uh, Zaire Franklin, parenthetically, uh, is the Scholar Athlete of the Week in the athletics department, so congrats to Z. And he and Paris Bennett are working in tandem. Bennett just continues to be sideline to sideline in on every play. He had 14 more tackles in the game on Saturday. You know, I think I've seen a lot of growth growth from uh, Paris, and Paris is having an outstanding season. I'm going to flip your question a little bit because I really believe that not only has he upped his game, and he really he really de- he really deserves all the accolades he's getting, but I think some of the stuff that he's getting is based off of the unselfishness of Zaire. Zaire is really doing things, and he's and Zaire draws a lot of attention. And it frees up Paris to do the things that he does. And I'm excited for both of them. And uh, those guys are best of friends, and they're not going to not neither one of them is going to get mad about me talking about this, but it's kind of like the way that Irv and Ish works together on offense. Those guys are right next to each other, and you've got to block one of them. And it's really hard to block both of them. 
And sometimes the, the double team goes to one guy, and then because the other guy is single, he's got to make the play, and those guys get opportunities to make plays. Well, obviously they're a great uh, one-two punch. I think Chris Slayton and, for that matter, Caton Samuels, the guys that plug up the middle of the defense, deserve some credit as well there. We visited with Vince Reynolds on the Dino Babers show last uh, Thursday night, and he talked about how uh, really all of the players in the interior and the defensive line who he works most closely with are coming on right now and uh, opportunity for continued growth for them. We'll have uh, Mike Lynch, by the way, the Orange's offensive line coach, joining us on the Dino Babers show, which this week is on a Wednesday night, building up to the Friday game. Anyway, uh, Babers did not mess around, as was the case in the LSU game. Somebody said, hey, coach, you're going to let the guys get into the uh, full LSU experience? He said, what, being hit by big, fast guys? Well, he doesn't really back off or sugarcoat it when he's scouting Clemson right now. These guys are not only fast and big and strong, but they're faster than us. I mean, if they, if they get out there, we're not going to catch them. Sorry. You know, we can't let them get out there. And on the flip side of that, we may get lucky enough to get something out there, and they're probably going to catch us. And now we've got to call another play where they didn't have to do anything but ask their field goal kicker to go out there and, and kick a PAT field goal. So it's different. And uh, the odds are against us, but, you know, we'll be there. We'll be there Friday night. We'll see what happens. Well, I think you get a sense of how Babers views it. He's real. He's like, look, they got better players, faster players, stronger players, but it's on the schedule. We're going to take a shot at it. And the idea is if you can draw up the right plays and execute them to get leverage to the outside and uh, put your playmakers in space, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that's going to be how you get your chance. And certainly execution is going to be, have to very, be a very important aspect of the game for the Qs on Friday should the Orange uh, be able to make a dent in Clemson at all. And keep in mind, Clemson uh, is going on nearly a full season since it was last beaten, uh, knocking off Alabama last year in the national championship game. This is one, too, where Babers is calling on the entire community to step in as a 12th man Friday night. This is huge. This is, to me, to have the community, to have everybody, to have the nation tuning in Friday night into the Carrier Dome, we need to have that thing packed. It needs to be a civil type situation where everybody's involved and come watch us. It's it's a heck of a it's a heck of a task. There's no doubt about it. But let's all get in the chairs and let's have an opinion and let's watch and see if we uh, you know let's just see what can happen. In other words, he's saying bring it on. I think he just to nitpick a second civic, you know, get the entire uh, community behind it. He doesn't want it to be especially civil, right? Be nice to one another when you're there, but uh, be loud and make an intimidating environment, which the Dome can be for when Clemson comes in on Friday night. The Tigers at 6-0 and are number two in the country. So we can get back to that game certainly over the course of the week, kicking it off Friday 7 o'clock in the Dome. As for some of the other things that happen around the football world this weekend, the Bills go to Cincinnati, have the lead up Three turnovers in the game and still find a way to lose that. John Murphy was on the show last week. The Bills play-by-play announcer cautioning Bills fans saying, hey, look, this is all great, a 3-1 and start in the top of the AFC East, but uh, you got to play one game at a time. And now the Bengals, who couldn't do anything, have won two in a row, and uh, that is the NFL. But it's now a three-way tie atop the AFC East with 
the Jets, Patriots, and Bills, all three and two. The Jets and Patriots play this week on Sunday. We're going to visit with Bob Wischusen, the Jets play-by-play announcer and longtime uh, ESPN uh, TV play-by-play man as well. And uh, Bob will be with us on Wednesday's show. We'll get the latest on the Jets, whose outlook has changed a little bit, right? They're tanking and they're leading the AFC East. So good stuff there. The Giants, nothing good about it. They are now 0-5, not going to make the playoffs this year, barring the biggest miracle in the history of the sport. Losing players over the course of the game and then in the end of the game, losing Odell Beckham Jr. for a season-ending ankle injury. And today, RIP, Y.A. Tittle, the Jets, or I'm sorry, Giants uh, legend passing away today. Thinking about the boss today a little bit, Polly. I'm sure he grew up being a, a Y.A. Tittle fan down there in New York. And uh, Y.A. Tittle was the best the Giants had back in the day and the toast of the town, and he passed away today at age 90. If you had a, if I had to put money on whether Y.A. Tittle was alive or not, I would have lost that bet. I, I think you're right. He made it to 90. Good for him. The Packers with a huge victory yesterday. What else is new? Aaron Rodgers with his 19th career game-winning drive. Here's how it sounded on the Packers radio network. Three receivers right. Adams split to the left. Rodgers in the shotgun. Jones to his left. Aaron pointing to the right now. Gets the snap. Looking. Throws left side of the end zone. Leaping. Great yes! to Adams. Yes! Touchdown Green Bay! A spectacular throw and catch to the left side of the end zone. They beat Jordan Lewis, Devontae Adams. Green Bay leads it 34-31. Devontae Adams, who got ear-holed on a Thursday night a little more than a week ago, back to play that game. Denny Trevathan, who hit him, got the one-game suspension from the NFL. Trevathan of the Bears. And then Rodgers and Adams Basically had that play go twice the previous time, nearly intercepted by Jordan Lewis. And the second one, just a perfect throw for Rodgers. He is so incredible in these game-winning drives. Dallas scored with, I think it was 113 left. And Rodgers marched right down the field knowing that uh, a three to tie it was certainly uh, something they were very capable of. Mason Crosby, one of the great long-range kickers, in the NFL, and they got better than that getting into the end zone with something like 12 or 13 seconds left and knocking off the Cowboys in Dallas 35-31. Big, big win for the Packers yesterday. If you're going to be stuck watching one game, though, on a, th- on a Sunday afternoon, I'll take Packers-Cowboys any day of the week. It's funny, absolutely, but it's funny you said that um, because the uh, the idea that the Giants weren't on television here uh of course when the bills giants and jets are all playing at at one time somebody's gonna have to be the odd team out and uh the the giants in this case uh were not on tv locally uh for those of us the 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 way to we've talked about this before i'm sure the way to consume the nfl is tv crack red zone and and whether you're going direct tv or uh through your cable provider nfl network it's just so good. And uh, I went to the Syracuse volleyball game yesterday, four wins in a row for the Orange volley team. 
beating Georgia Tech yesterday in straight sets, but then uh, came home. And when you get home at 3.50 and you know you've got all those early games wrapping up uh, right at that time, pretty exciting to uh, to be able to watch a lot of those. Then, of course, the uh, Packers and uh, Cowboys game was after that. Great baseball yesterday. The Yankees with an awesome win, beating the Indians one nothing to keep their season alive. The Red Sox had done that just prior. Red Sox and Astros are on AM 1200 as we speak right now. All four of the current postseason series are alive and going tonight. This is Chris Sale coming in in relief. First time since May of 2012. So strange things happen in the postseason, and it was a dynamite start for Masahiro Tanaka last night. We joked about him a while back. I really joked but pointed out that we'd seen him in person a couple times this year. He got rocked both times, uh, including on opening day in Tampa. But he was awesome yesterday. Aroldis Chapman came out throwing literally every fastball in triple digits, and Greg Bird provided the Yankee offense. 1-0 to Bird. Swung on, there it goes. Deep right. It is high. It is far. It is gone. It's bye-bye Birdie in the right field seat. So the Birdman of New York got it done there, Polly. Yeah, I think the calls should be watch it fly. It's ornithology time. Get out your Sibley's guide. <laughs> I'll send it into Sterling. Check out the binoculars. Yeah, hold on. Get out the mustard and rye bread, Grandma. It's grand salami time. That was a solo shot by Greg Bird. And if you're going to make the argument that the Yankees are ahead of schedule and isn't it great and aren't they going to be great next year and this year's playoffs are a bonus, et cetera, it's based on somebody like Bird, who is a key player of the future but was a question mark uh, throughout the this year due to injury, and uh, he came through. Huge home run. Yankees are fun to watch. Great atmosphere. A well-pitched game by Masahiro Tanaka, who, when he's good, he's really good. His split-finger fastball early in the game was awesome. And uh, really enjoy the broadcast. We're going to maybe try to get Matt Vaskersen on one of these days, the uh, former Chiefs play-by-play announcer. But uh, Matt and John Smoltz working together are a very easy listen on uh, Fox Sports 1. We've enjoyed that. All right, more to come here in the booth when we continue and we'll uh, get just squared away for the rest of the week and what's to come. It's Clemson week here in central New York. Orange football back in the dome for the second straight game Friday night. Hope to see you there in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Sunday, the Giants head to the Mile High City to face the Broncos. Pre-game at 7.30. Big Blue plays here. ESPN Radio 97.7 and 100.1. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care Here's Joe Salzone. After videos surfaced of the Dolphins' offensive line coach snorting a, quote, white powder, end quote, Chris Furster has resigned. In a statement released today, Furster says he will be seeking professional help. The 56-second video was released on social media by an unknown source. Well, I think we have a pretty good idea who the source was since it was on her Facebook page. But, uh, yeah, it's a really, really bad scene. And I can't imagine, uh, first of all, he's clearly not right and needs help to, to do that or to think that it was smart to have shot video of himself doing that. I can't imagine what it had to have been like to be Dolphins management watching that video. It doesn't take long to watch it, but it would be uh, 
stomach churning if you're Adam Gase, the coach, or Stephen Ross, the owner of the the uh, Dolphins, and they're parting ways with him very quickly. No surprise. I like that they say white powder, like he was. Well, I think they don't want to commit to it being the c word without knowing, and it really doesn't matter. It's from a public perception standpoint, it has more to do with just putting himself in that position from the human interest standpoint. If you know, if he needs help, get help, and certainly within the the resources of an NFL team, there is the opportunity for that to happen. PSA from Uncle Pauly: Don't videotape or for te- take a photograph of yourself doing anything, good or bad. Right. And don't send it to people. Another video to tell you about. Raiders lineman Donald Penn shown getting into an altercation with some fans on Sunday following their 30-17 to loss to the Ravens. The video shows fans yelling at Penn, who gets out of his car and approaches the group. Penn and the group argued before Penn got back into his car and left. You know, the fans are in the wrong here if they did that, but one of the deals with the players, and I know it, it stinks, it's part of the job. If you're a professional athlete, you're paid for the travel. You're paid because you can get traded. You're paid because of your contract status. You're paid because of the risk of injury. You're paid because in this case, you've got to just ignore it and drive out of the parking lot. And it's easy for me to say, because that's got to be very hard to do, but uh, nothing good comes from getting out of your car and approaching fans who probably were inebriated and everything else and uh, not a good deal there. I'm going to say unfortunately what the Raiders are known for. I'm going to say something that uh, may need uh, witness protection after this. Raiders fans are not right in the head at po- some some of them, but they're, they're, that's a crazy bunch when you get two two their well, their fans at the stadium. And it's an awkward cocktail too, given that they're done. You know, the Raiders fans are so passionate they they pour out everything they've got, and now the uh, team is headed to Las Vegas, and uh, I'm sure they're upset about it and. A lot of his fantasy football. Oh, you you hurt my fantasy team and all that. Lisa Lineman didn't. You can't really blame him for that. All right, that brings to an end our show. I'm interested to know where yet again we probably screwed up in fantasy football this week. We'll find that out maybe tomorrow's show. It's exciting on ESPN Radio Syracuse.